0: Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Adam, Omar, and Evan to discuss the topic of how to get the best out of individuals.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast.
0: Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the
1: room with some introductions. Adam, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Sam. Um, so, yeah, I'm Adam Blanchard. Uh, I'm a founder of a company called Hightop, which is H-E-J-T-I-P. Uh, it's currently just me working as a coach and a consultant to help other engineering managers grow, um, hopefully with a little less struggling alone and a little less learning by painful trial and error. Um, so, yeah, I'm here on the podcast. I'm... Looking to hear lots of practical ideas, but honestly, hoping to leave with some bigger questions than I started with, um, I'm an uh, opened up mind.
0: Perfect. And it's great to have you here today, Adam. Thank you. Omar, we're coming to you next.
2: Um, Omar, uh, head of IT at Deluxe, uh, also based in Copenhagen and, uh, likewise, just very interested in getting this question spread wide open and picking everyone's brains to, to see what's going on, getting some, uh, insight into other people's ideas and thoughts behind uh, what is essentially a very complicated topic.
0: So yeah, you're not wrong there. And and thanks again for being here today, Omar. And last but no means least, Evan, over to you. Hello everyone. I'm uh, Evan, people partner at Pleo.
3: So uh I have quite a mixed back, back, background or uh what I'm doing. Uh having backgrounds in engineering, graphic design, uh data science and psychology before uh, Working as a people partner for our product management and design teams at Brio. Uh and more recently, I joined our growth team, uh, people growth, where I'm working on approaching uh, learning and development as a product. And uh, yeah, mixing all of those backgrounds together, uh, I'm always on the lookout for more perspectives uh, to be collected on on the topic at hand here. So I'm very excited to be here.
0: Thank you, Evan, for for that introduction. Uh, now we've established the context of each of you, let's work around the room uh, with the question that each of you have prepared on how to get the best out of individuals. As usual, I start off, I think it's a great question uh, to kick us off with Adam. He wants to know how do you unpack and decide what the best looks like for individuals and before passing it over to, to Evan and Omar to give their answers, Adam, Give us a bit of context around the question.
1: Yeah, sure. So I thought a good first question, since we're here to talk about how to get the best out of individuals before we dive into some more of the practical strategies, um, to spend some time thinking about how we actually decide what best looks like for individuals. So what does that, how do we find out what best is in practice as well?
0: Fantastic. And
1: Omar, I believe we're coming to you first with this one. Um, I have.
2: a a bit of a quarrel with um, this idea of a people first manager um, because I think it's a lot more difficult to do something like that than actually put into practice. I think there's a lot of claim to that sort of fame, Um, but finding the best in people, finding what is actually their best, what's suited for them, um, takes an extra amount of energy outside of the general Uh, sort of people managing or trying to get people uh, growth in their career paths. Um, I think there's a a little bit of an attention needed on a one-to-one basis. So you have direct attention. uh, So when you're having walks or chats or meetings or working together in projects and also being able to um, distance, you know, observing their everyday interactions or not just with people, but with their work environment um it's quite a broad area so then trying to figure out what best works for that person um it's it's not a one-size-fits-all for for sure some people are ex- exceptional problem solvers but um they may not be on the spot so they may need a little bit more time right so that that questions uh, the approach to figuring out what's best for that person or what is that person's best um so it's Putting the pieces to that puzzle together over time, definitely not rushing it. Getting to know the person, I think it's quite similar, is it not, to how you how you know your friends and family, um, and you know the little things about them here and there. Of course, it's a, it's a sort of professional line, but it's not too dissimilar to that. That's broadly answered. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you, Evan. Have you got anything to add?
3: Well. I absolutely agree with the, the take on this being extremely subjective thing for any other person. Um, and yeah, when thinking about this question ahead of time, um, pretty much, um, uh, the same direction. Uh, one aspect I think I can add to it is just, uh, in my work, I spend a lot of time focusing on engagement surveys, uh, to big extent, because I used to work at Beacon hiring for their, um, engineering and design teams. So spent a lot of time with just the design and the logic behind engagement surveys and methodology and how you build solutions in this space. And uh, it also kind of leaves uh, uh, a mark on you in a way. So immediately when I was thinking about uh, getting best out of individuals, okay, that's just creating an environment for them to be fully engaged and also figuring out the correct roles where they can be uh, fully present and excited about what what they're doing and it is no simple uh, task to accomplish for someone as, uh, leading those people. Mm, and, uh, yeah, I, also putting things into perspective, uh, I can see how, uh, with, uh, enough patience and attention, any manager can do it within their teams. Uh, but there's also a clash with just what business uh, wants or other needs at the moment, because it, it's very hard to put in reality a situation where every single, uh, individual in the company is at absolutely the best, uh, suitable role for them. Uh, like at any period of time, nothing changes. And this is the one where, um, I, I kind of want to like, send this question back, like, uh, how of, uh, how much of a utopia, uh, is a situation where everyone is in a spot that's best for them. Uh, Like how close can we
0: get to it? Adam, have you got a retort for that one? Yeah, sure.
1: um, I think it definitely is a utopia and definitely a hard thing to reach. Usually when I think about these types of people, philosophies and how we cut people more first, I'm happy to be quite extreme in what we do from that perspective, because I feel like most of the time the status quo is quite imbalanced against So uh, when we think about like what's best for individuals, of course it is a very individual thing, um, what they bring to the table, but in the context of working in a team and in a company best is some kind of cross-section between the personal and the team and the company needs. So yeah. Um, does that answer your question, Evan? Is
3: there a definitive answer to my question anyway, because, uh, uh, it, it's also like it is the one coming from our reflection i would say um we're pretty nicely situated um in Clio being a very people centric company where like it's just part of our agenda to put a lot of effort into it um but also i know that this kind of culture is not universal and in a lot of places uh, as adam says there's rather status quo is much uh, is often against this level of uh, individual fulfillment across the board. Uh, and yeah, I, I think if anything, it's kind of a, uh, question of, um, whether it's possible within a company to, uh, establish direct connection between individuals, uh, being fulfilled in business, recognizing all of the benefit from that being the case.
1: Adam, you've got something to add? Beth, go back to where I was thinking about uh, when I proposed this question about what best actually looks like. Maybe it sounds like there's two things that we're talking about here. Like one is that kind of individual fulfillment. um, And that maybe isn't so much about getting the best out of individuals. That phrase somehow has some implication of like the business, the company, the manager, knowing what is best for someone and how to get the best performance out of someone so maybe there's these two pieces that we can also come back to in the other question we do it sounds like one part is this individual for someone which is a very individual seeding for people and one which is if we hire people to do a certain role how can we make sure they're doing the best uh, for those responsibilities that we've hired them for Um, and balancing those two things definitely is a challenge. Has anybody got any other thoughts to add, Omar?
2: No, um, I I do agree that it's yeah, it needs to be within context, um, because otherwise we we can be very philosophical about how far this extends, which is not a bad thing because you know you can get creative and then find some new ideas to apply. Um, so maybe maybe we need more investment in research around this area, uh, you know, because. A lot of it, from what I understand, has developed out of practice and then occupational psychology sort of stepped in and tried to refine it a little bit. Uh, There is some research in the background, but, you know, direct research, um, the same as education, um, you know, and and sort of revising that whole structure. Uh, We are still more or less in the traditional structure of a work environment, you know, uh, some places have a flat structure, uh, some places, or well, the majority of places, are in a hierarchy. Right? Uh, the fact that we have to define them is also another thing. So yeah, um, within context, but I I do think loads of research, more conversations like these, uh, but direct research is something that does exist, but more, but that, yeah, that's heading towards an idealistic sort of
0: situation, which is
2: not bad. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Well, I suppose from the theoretical to, to Omar's question now, when we're going to look to talk about what strategies have you uh, implemented to ensure that each individual is empowered to reach their potential, and kind of have their unique talents recognized. <laughs> Omar, as always going to come to yourself to, to give some context around it before we hand over to Evan and Adam.
2: Yeah. So Adam, interestingly, um this question stemmed from a similar idea to your question. Um, and so I, I thought, okay, I need to sort of funnel this down to something that you know could be maybe within a work environment. Um, and it, it is within the context of work and you can potentially extend it slightly to colleagues that you work with, but then you do perhaps some things outside of the work environment. Um, so keeping it with that within that, um, yeah, and if you need any more context, or... I think it's quite clear.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Evan, over to you. So we're talking about the question of
3: strategies uh, that could be implemented to ensure that individuals are empowered to reach their potential. Um, so in that sense, and uh, I appreciate that this, the answer to it would really vary company to company uh given their circumstances. And I I think with my background and with my current company, I'm kind of privileged uh, working in fast growth startups mm, where there's a lot of room, uh, expanding room to try things out. And in that environment, for sure, uh, what I've seen uh, work really well is um, intentionally leaving the room to do random things at work, uh, things that are uh, outside of your direct responsibilities that are kind of a r- uh, reach in terms of doing something adjacent to your responsibilities or something that actually just completely across uh, the board from your current role. Uh, and it's kind of a mix of uh, leveraging a tool or the just every now and then doing a new random thing uh, to get exposed Uh, to new experiences and that something might click for you that that's actually something that I'm interested in trying out and uh, this Mm -hmm. and I guess this one is kind of hard to put in place if that curiosity does not exist in an organization from the very beginning Uh, as uh, say uh, what we have uh, in in Clio uh, especially in the earlier days when the company was smaller uh, there was a lot of uh willingness from anyone and everyone in leadership uh, to allow individuals to try things out. Uh, and uh, we have quite a few cases of uh, one of our uh, DevOps engineers was in sales, uh, but then I, I don't remember the exact story, but over the lunch just got curious uh, about some technical talk that he had with uh, engineers and uh, started looking up uh, front-end development. Um, uh, in free time, and then they made an arrangement with one of the engineering teams to rather try out part-time then eventually he transitioned into front end, uh, but also in a kind of team where you cannot really stay away from back end tasks as well, which like send him all the way in his curiosity to DevOps and the things. And we have quite a few people who transitioned into engineering in a similar kind of way, or in data space, uh, or people transitioning across uh, commercial roles, which is well, also a. a communication. And looking at all of that landscape, uh, all of that comes rather from a company willing to take time uh, of uh, people's schedule to allow, well, one, create environments where this cross-functional communication happens and is rich enough for people to be exposed to new things, Uh, willingness uh, for people to do random things that are outside of their reach, and then uh, which is much bigger ask of the organization, is willingness to actually uh, allow them to work part-time in a different role within the company and then ultimately be able to transition into a new one, uh, if it makes sense for all of the parties involved.
0: Thanks, Evan. Um, Adam, we're coming to you next um, to add something on. I know the company you've got with Hytop, uh and looking at doing exactly this, so what strategies have you implemented?
1: Yeah, sure. So. I saw two parts to this question a little bit. One is, um, allowing, making sure individuals are empowered to reach their potential, but also this thing about having their unique talents recognized. And that really stuck out to me because it really is such a big challenge of the workplace and that we, by default, see such a small slice of people. Um, and that can be important for some reasons, like boundaries are good with your professional. Uh, life as well if you want them, but also it makes it very hard when it comes to helping people feel fulfilled when we're only working with a tiny insight into them as a person. So um, I thought of a couple of very tangible, practical things that um, I do with people uh, that I can share. Um, So the first one is this idea about whole human skill mapping. So this is about you know, when we're having conversations around people's skills it's often very, very tangibly related to like their job description or, you know, where they're at on a specific career ladder right now. Instead, take a bit of a step back and look at some like bigger buckets of skills and strengths um, that may not come up in conversation without doing that. So some of of those buckets can be, for example, holistic skills. This to me is more the kind of, personality traits and, you know, kind of motivations and characteristics of people. And um, even though there's no, you know, personality test online that can uh, give you all the answers of of who you are, I do think taking a bunch of them, trying some different ideas, looking at different frameworks for how people behave are useful as starting points to help shape your understanding of what you can bring to the table. Uh, The other one is transferable skills. This is definitely more spoken about and definitely comes up definitely does uh, have a place in a a lot of career frameworks and companies, but that is the things like communication um, and collaboration and leadership and problem solving and uh, organization and these types of skills that usually come out or come out as a play, very specific responsibilities in your role, but definitely can be talked about in a much more wider and generic sense uh, for people. Um, Another side one, which is interesting, and this touches a bit on uh, Ethan's story. You know, it is really uh, a a good idea to talk about skills and strengths that are covered in other roles around your company and in your team, because sometimes people may not realize the kind of skills and things that go into doing other roles, which maybe they feel like they could be a really good fit for. So also talking about those and getting people to self-evaluate and have a look through them and and see whether they can tick any of the boxes that. Um, so that's a bit of an approach you can structure that, you know, you can uh, structure that into kind of performance reviews or any other kind of uh, processes that you have in place as a manager already. The other one is around unpacking pre role experience. So having a look at what people are doing more deeply before they have come to your company. Because so often I've been in conversations with people and in passing conversation, maybe over lunch, you just hear that you know in their last company or before they joined the, uh, this world they had this whole other experience of like leading some whole other type of initiatives or, or things like this that you just had no idea of because they're like just a front end engineer right now um so you can make this a lot more intentional by having i've had a workshop with when i was a manager with every new engineer that i worked with and now uh, with people who are feeling a bit stuck in their career um it's kind of a precursor to career development planning but it basically covers three main questions to people. The first one, we talk about their life journey as much as they're willing to talk about specifically any key decisions and key changes that they've had uh, in their professional life um, and also education. Um, the second one is their career pinnacle. So, you know, brainstorming whatever five potential like, ideas of what a, a pinnacle of their career or professional life might look like. That could be a whole mix of, you know, working part-time and, and retiring early, or it could be, you know, being c CTO or whatever. It can be a small or big, uh, as word is pinnacle, but it can be like a small kind uh, of pinnacle as well, whatever feels fulfilling. Um, and then the last one is any existing career goals that they have. So out of these three conversations, you can pull out people's motivations, you can pull out people's ambitions and career goals, and you can pull out any super specific rewarding next steps that they're, uh, you know, looking to do, which you could help them achieve quickly. So having this, taking this kind of bigger step backwards and looking at people a bit more as a whole person, seeing their previous experience, having a bigger conversation, a really important thing to mention is saying like, this is outside of the box of their current job and their current company. Let's talk about your long-term and previous experience. And I've had some really amazing feedback you know, that i am giving people the space to like, consider these things deeply and like kind of, you know, even though maybe the conversation workshop might just take a couple of hours, that couple of hours can and be a really amazing first step in helping people understand what they can bring to the table and what they can focus on. So,
0: Evan, you've got something to add? Yes, one, I
3: really uh, like the stake on zooming out. And I think another kind of approach to it that I can add uh, in- not something that I know that closely, but uh, something that my manager is doing. And I think the model she's uh, is using is, uh, you can look at uh, two types of companies, uh, comparing them to uh, using a metaphor of uh, water. They can be a company that is a pond or a company that is a river in terms of what it does with talent. And some companies are built so that as a pond, so you join and you stay there kind of indefinite employment, uh, or some companies, and which is much more applicable to fast growth uh, startups where things change so much and that the the reality of modern uh, life in these companies is that you will likely stick around for a couple of years and then move on. So as a river, your talent uh, joins uh, and your aspiration should be rather uh, about them leaving better off than they joined. And actually what uh, he's doing is having this conversation early on. Like, what should be your next role after this company? And like, it can be that you want to have a very long track here and leave in uh, 10 years in a very different quality, and we can make a plan for this. Or maybe like you are aware that uh, in a year from now, you might already be looking for something else, uh, that doesn't really matter. Uh, what matters is how, in what state and what level of impact do you want to leave the company to be prepared for your future role? And that is something that we're going to focus on in your time here. And yeah, like that's, I think a just, uh, alternative way of looking at the same thing, uh, and, uh, I think also to comment on, uh, the skill, uh, mapping and, uh, skill buckets, uh, kind of approach, I, I think it's a very good, uh, uh s- structured way of approaching it that company should reach a certain level of maturity, uh, to really be consistent and, uh, enabling people and, uh, that's something that we've uh, also done at Plio uh, and iterated over already uh, a few times because uh, I think uh, inevitably, uh, especially if you have a lot of roles in the company, you bump into the fact that the matrix of skills becomes so big and hard to maintain. Then, uh, first you make a basic one, then you realize, oh no, there's more complexity to it. You add more. Then you realize that it's so complicated that uh, it's very hard uh, to parse. And then you uh shrink it uh, back down, uh, but uh, maybe putting more thoughts in your current context to it. And uh, for us in that process, uh, the later versions focused a lot more around impact uh, on the overall organization and also trying to be function agnostic in that way. Just it doesn't matter what is your current job, but rather how big uh, of an impact do you have on the entire company. And if we think about someone's progression and the next steps. How can you have more impact and what kind of skills we see as a requirement for that. And just this prism of looking not how you become better at your craft, but rather just how can you have more of an impact unlocks potentially new ways of looking at what this individual could be doing uh, for uh, their development. Although then the next step from that is rather allowing them to take on those bigger projects uh, and take risks and go beyond what, uh, they're confident in doing right now. And, uh, this is not easy for, uh, leaders rather, uh, this actually like is a leap of faith in a sense. And, uh, yeah, this is yet another
0: part where, uh, I think a lot depends on, uh, commitment from a company in doing this. Thank you, Evan. Emma, uh, Adam and Evan give some fantastic answers. Have you got anything to add to your own question?
2: Uh, Thank you both. That's uh, really insightful stuff. Um, I saw the common theme is uh, centered, correct me if I'm wrong, but around the companies taking responsibility uh, and not just employing somebody for their own gain, which is sort of a traditional approach, right? Um, And yeah, you're you're both quite right. I I totally agree that it, it requires a different amount of focus and energy from the company and this idea that you are taking a leap of faith um i would argue right from the get-go you know if this is your philosophy in the company this is the the culture that you want to uh, to have in the company that you're saying we are hiring somebody who has a skill set that we need for this particular job but we are very open to this being something completely different uh two years from now um and it might personal opinion. I think more and more companies should be doing this. Um, that takes us a little step closer to that wonderful utopia that you know, we've been talking about. Um, yeah, I think um, strategy-wise, there's there's a lot of... I, I took some notes as well. Um, the human skill mapping, thats a, that makes it... I don't know if it's the, the name of the term, but it made me think of some AI film or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I'd i like to add one thing, which I, I think is implied in, in both of your answers, but that's providing safety um, and safety means something different to both, uh, so, so, sorry, to different people. Um, but if you want to explore the best in someone, and if that person is willing to, to show that because you know, of different personality types. Then providing a a sort of psychological safety in different environment, in different aspects of of the work environment, I think is critical. Um, But yeah, I can ramble on about this for a
3: long time. Uh, Evan, I think you've got something to say. So it's not necessarily uh, to elaborate on the safety topic, although to that, I can just agree that uh, it is a very important building block to the whole thing working. Uh, But uh, one thing, uh, kind of going back to your original question that also had me curious, and I think that we didn't uh, go into into that much so far, is uh, the recognition aspect of it. Or rather, uh, I remember that uh, you put it uh, um, as how do we uh, have uh, individuals' unique talents recognized. And then that I was wondering, um, well, could you elaborate on that? What recognition are we talking, like, is it specifically about recognition or it it just a like way of phrasing it uh, in terms of unlocking those new talents?
2: Uh, well spotted. I'll, have, I'll give you that. <laughs> I left it as a little bit of an open, but closed at the same time. Uh, so, um, some people prefer recognition to be shown as a pat on the back. Some people prefer their recognition to be shown as an acknowledgement of the uh, their skills of their work and uh, just to get on with it. So some people want to thank you. Some people don't want to thank you. Some people want to thank you publicly. Some people don't want to thank you publicly, right? Um, so recognizing, um, at least what I put in there was, uh, how do you do it? And when you do recognize, then how do you communicate it? How does it translate from what you see into putting it into your strategy? But so we don't, I mean, you know, we can always,
0: <laughs> we can have a, a coffee down the road if you want. To... <laughs> I think you've stumped in there. Yeah, maybe you have to pick this up off air. <laughs> Evan, do you want to add to anything to that? <clears throat> I think the moment where you circle it back to strategy is the one that really,
3: uh, Stunned me uh, in terms of, okay, how do I think of this on a bigger scale? Because uh, I totally agree that uh, it's very recognition is a very subjective uh, kind of thing, and uh, really the ways of meaningful recognition for each individual is going to be different. And uh, it's uh, yet another uh, big ask of the managers to learn this about their people and recognize them in the ways that uh, would be meaningful uh, to those people. So I guess the only way where I uh, I can connect it to a higher level is rather company having an aspiration to recognize talents of their people and have uh, commitments uh, just among people managers to put the effort into study all of that. And, uh, what company can do is, I guess, just suggest the ways uh, to do it uh, and uh, support people in uh, developing all that. Like, I don't know, thinking of some practices that uh, we have in place here, for example, we have a channel in Slack for public praise uh, that people use quite a bit, so just complimenting someone publicly on uh, things that uh where they were really helpful. Uh it goes to individuals, it goes to teams. Uh it goes for so many occasions. Uh then um, also um, we have this concept of moments that matter, uh which rather have to do in most cases with birthdays, anniversaries, uh, birth of children and so on. But uh, any individual accomplishments that are meaningful to a a person could also qualify as moment of matter. And we have the small budget for uh, that managers can use to just send flowers to someone uh, on like occasions meaningful to them. I, 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 in terms of, you know, development, uh, I, I think rather like if our student workers successfully graduate or someone branching out in terms of learning new skills like celebrating that they're completing some courses out there just uh, highlighting those things for them uh making this experience that a bit nicer something that uh, we're, uh as organization but the, this kind of policy you can show encouragement of
2: I like the uh, the
0: budget for flowers nothing that's that's I love that well Omar, thank you for a fantastic question. I think it's a good time to, to move on to, to Evans and the last question of today's podcast, he's more focused around in scaling companies. You often focus on developing people managers as from one point of view, they're more efficient in the distribution channel of support, practice and policies. Is this the only way and what other things should you focus on in, in fast scaling companies and enabling individuals to, to do their best? quite a for of a question, but I'm going to come to Evan uh, to give us a bit of context before we're going to Adam and Oma. Well, there's a lot of context, but also you kind of
3: read all of it already. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, one thing that I always find myself, uh, thinking of, uh, in a fast, uh, growing companies, um, it's hard to kind of keep uh, consistent line of communication with everyone because everyone is ever growing number, uh, of a lot of new people and changing environments and just conflicting uh, contexts. Uh, like it, it's busy, it's quite hectic uh, and uh, it's very convenient to rely on uh, managers since they're fewer in numbers and they are connected with everyone. So uh, thinking of distribution channels uh, of uh, knowledge practices and everything, uh, they're a very good uh, and reliable pick in terms of getting something out. Uh, but then I always prefer having multiple channels. And in that, I'm curious, what's your take on this? Uh, what else can be meaningful in this sort of environment for uh, uh for a company to deliver more on people um, living out their full
0: potential? Thank you, Evan. Adam, over to you.
1: Yeah, this is a really good question. I think my first reaction is that managers in terms of that being, being the only way, maybe not. But I, I do think they play a a very important part. I mean, I, I, I think, um, not as a, like a continuous distribution channel, but you know, with the idea that managers are in a place to multiply the, the, the impacts of the things we're getting them to do. So if we have a new idea of how things should work, managers not being the only distribution of support for that new thing. But somehow, in their little bubble, their team, the people they're close to, somehow um, making an impact that they don't have to continue being this bottleneck of support. So I, maybe I can for more attention. To, um, I think on a bigger picture, um, Evan, you touched on earlier on about this, importance for having space for space and encouragement for self-growth and curiosity and learning and, and people being able to bring those things uh, to their job. Um, I think managers definitely play a big part in enabling that, but as any cultural thing, it is more of a, a sum of everyone's attitude and behavior towards maybe on those kind of things that may be some tangible check-ins that managers do is just considering or asking questions, you know, for example, I mean, to, in terms of evaluation, how comfortable do people feel, for example, taking their weaknesses to their manager and, and not in a way of in any kind of critic, criticizing way, but saying like, actually, this isn't my strength. Um, my strengths are over here. How do I do more of this stuff? Um, how comfortable, you know, I've even worked with, uh, you know, very senior managers who still, you know, don't have fully honest conversations with their manager who, who may be uh, very senior. Uh, in case they show a, a potential weakness or like they can't handle the situation. So these kind of things can have a big impact on that culture. Are people having space and, and that safety thing that we talked about as well. Um, a- another good question I think is worth considering as a, as a manager to see if you are kind of multiplying this cultural effect is, you know, if people wanted to learn a new skill or technology, if you are a developer, you know, are they able to, do they feel that like they can learn it on work time or whether they have to spend time outside of their uh, role doing it? Um, I think that's a good question, which opens up whether the culture supports continuous learning and giving space for people to explore new things like outside of what the, you know, is on their job description. So at least in like, mm, um, not playing a, a direct role in always having to push those things themselves as managers, but at least as a, as a kind of cultural check-in, they can provide a a pretty important role there. Um, in terms of multiplying in all practical senses, I think, um, enabling certain things such as, uh, bottom up goal setting. So, I mean, really a lot of what supporting people boils down to in my head in a practical way is helping people set goals. Uh, whether it's like through some very tangible framework or just better understanding what their next step is or what things they want to learn, uh, ultimately is goal setting. And there's a pretty hard thing to do. I mean, most people have probably struggled either on a company level or team level or individual level of setting goals. Um, This is a good example of what I mean by multiplying. So maybe there's an initiative in the company to set better goals. Maybe we decide individuals should have some personal development goals. Instead of it now becoming a responsibility for a manager to continuously do that, then with a growing team and struggling to scale, also having little support to practice those skills themselves, we can instead take an approach of teaching individuals to set good goals for themselves. We can also teach the skills of goal setting instead of just sending all the managers to training on how to set goals. Why isn't everybody involved in that conversation? Um, because it's really a life skill at the end of the day. So. That's how I mean, like, multiplying the things that, that we expect managers to do. Um, maybe I can think of some other ideas, but I'll hand it over to someone else. Omar, over to you. Thanks,
2: Adam. Um, I really like this question, and uh, it got me thinking from the from the minute I saw it, and I just reread it again, actually, just to, to make sure I'm not veering, of course. Um, oh, where do I start? Um, it's it's a good one. So if we go back to the idea that uh, our educational system is still quite traditional um, and Adam, as you just mentioned, the life skills that do need to be involved, um, I, I would argue in any sort of scenario, not just in a fast scaling uh, company. I mean, in that situation, yeah, you need to be a lot more robust, I would say, and dynamic. And if you're not, then there need to be sort of people in place to protect you. Uh, to to enforce that safety, to continue, right? Because it's a lot more turbulent, um, it's a lot less stable. I mean, there's a lot less room for other things, but there's a lot more room for certain aspects of uh, of your professional development to happen. Um, So yeah, the educational side of it, really as we're growing up, there's a fundamental number of pieces missing that we only encounter later in life We're all set free and stuck in a room together for, you know, eight, nine hours a day. Um, we start to figure those things out and we call it maturity. We call it adulthood, right? But I, I do think from, at least from the people that I've read, uh, who dig into this quite a lot, that this is something that we can introduce a lot earlier. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can fully digest it and comprehend it and apply it, but at least you have a much better grasp of what it is. Um, so you're not caught off guard when it does start to show up. Uh, the same with you know the education system not really preparing you uh, properly for university. Uh, it's not just the pace of study, but there's a lot more things. And this brings me to uh, my main thought around this, which is something I heard in my previous company. It was actually in the, um, in the manual, the, the manager's manual, which I think it should have been in every manual, to be honest. But it is that uh, being a manager is—it's not a promotion; it's a change of career. Um, and I think the, the quicker that everybody really accepts this—not uh, to some, some sort of dictatorship or something—but oh, okay, well, the, the quicker that everyone would, would maybe hear this, uh, the the more chance we have to, to to dive in and explore what that means. Um, of course, there are there are companies who scale so fast that they do what most people do, which is they promote the people who have been there for a little while longer than somebody else and they become team leads or managers. And there's nothing inherently wrong with doing it that way because you're more familiar, you maybe more skilled or whatever, um, maybe, maybe not, but not everybody wants to be a team lead not everyone wants to be a people manager i mean those two things are different of course um some people are very happy with doing what they do and you know they're they're happy just to get on with things um so providing a structure around that and doing it properly so that doesn't exist everywhere. It does exist in some places. Um, and in the places it doesn't exist, um, I have found that they start realizing and incorporating some sort of training and awareness. So they'll bring in a professional, uh, have, uh, courses, for example. Um, I know with Deluxe we've done that. We've done leadership training with a, a top uh, Danish psychologist who focuses around this so she's focused around this over the last 25 years old. And, you know, it's, um, uh, fantastic session to explore things and it's in no way a manual. It's actually just uh, bringing awareness as to how the mind works, how the brain works from a a neuro uh, neurological perspective and how that applies to the everyday. So we are missing this as a whole. And doesn't mean that everyone needs to be a psychologist to be a manager. It definitely would help to an extent, but you also need the skills of the profession that you're in. So. Do we put a layer in between and um, put a a sort of pause from the moment that you apply for a job, well, not apply for a job, from the moment that you decide, okay, I've finished studies or whatever, and I want to go into the job and I want to be a manager. Do we put in a, uh, say a year's worth of study, like in Danish uh, schools, um, if you're teaching at kindergarten or a primary school or in school. You study very differently to other countries that I'm aware of, right? Um, it's a pedagogue sort of approach and you go in, it's, it's a full on bachelor's and you, you learn not just how to teach, but you learn a lot more about children, the psychology of children, the psychology of teaching itself, the science of teaching. Um, and you find that it works, uh, there's still more work to do, of course, but it does work. So yeah, stemming from, it's a change of career and then taking that idea is like okay if it's a change of career then we connect career with experience and knowledge and skill but then where is that if what you're doing is you know 10 years as a whatever software developer and then straight into management what does that mean you may show the the the, uh, the skills for it um, but are they refined enough are they okay enough uh, for you to then be responsible for people and their career paths or their happiness or their safety. Um, so, maybe in fast scaling companies, and I'm adding on to this now, was, <laughs> uh, maybe in fast scaling companies where there isn't really that luxury of time always, uh, maybe we need to invest in a department that's specific for that. And I don't mean within the people departments, I mean someone. You know, a group of people that are in there specifically to look after the employees as a whole, not just managers. And then um, then what you have is, uh, and not to be very clinical about this, but then what you have is this supply chain, You can't get around being clinical when you say that, but you have a supply chain where um, it feeds backwards and forwards and it looks after itself uh, and wherever things break, you have the experts on hand to try and uh, remedy that. Um, instead of this sort of cascading tornado things that can happen. I love that. Uh,
0: Thank you, Amar. Thank you, Adam. Evan, have you got anything to add to your your own question to round off those two fantastic answers? We went philosophical. I like that. Uh, that's, uh,
3: yeah, I think, uh, thank you for your answers. Uh, this, uh, adds uh, more depth. Uh, to how this whole topic can be approached. Um, I I think I I tried to corner you a bit in phrasing my question uh, when like putting it from channel kind of angle uh, and looking at just like this aspect of uh, getting the support from people out there. Mm, Because, uh, yeah, me uh, spending time thinking about this uh, one thing that Uh, I really want to work on trying out is rather uh, mentorships and more specifically cross-functional mentorships, because it's quite natural for anyone uh, to look for a mentor in their uh, kind of role, uh, externally or internally, depending on uh, what's the situation in the company. Uh, And I was thinking how much more can be unlocked by rather connecting people from different functions and uh, making it a bit more of a short shorter term and more laser, uh, like skill focused or, mm, or not skill, but something very specific (laughs) focused uh, to build this mentorship around and uh, unlock uh, this peer to peer learning potential that you have in your organization, because uh, once you are quite a few people, uh, there's a lot of potential in these kind of connections, at least uh, when I think about it, hypothetically, So this is one angle that's, uh, well, I rather want to explore more, uh, and well, I mean, time will tell, I, I have yet uh, to implement this and then return with my uh, findings from, I was in the work,
0: maybe we have to do a second iteration and we can go, come back and, and review the findings. Um, but who knows? <laughs> you have to leave a bait for season two, of course. Yes, of course. (laughs) Excellent, guys. Well, I think for today, uh, we'll leave it there. This has been the Evolution Exchange Podcast. I really want to take this opportunity to thank Adam, Omar, and Evan, not only for their fantastic questions, but their incredible insight into people, how to get the best out of individuals, the strategies you need. Um, And we got very philosophical guys, didn't we? Uh, Struggles to get my word out there, but there we go. If you would like to get involved with the upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can do it via email. Also, it's sam.williamson at evolution-nordics.com. But for now, thank you for listening. See you next time. Cheers, guys.